For you yourselves know, brothers, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and we were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but rather God, who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people either, from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you, as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preach God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devotely, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, my name's Ed. I'm the congregational pastor here at 7pm. And there's a lot of love in the building, which is very poignant for our passage that we're exploring today. Uh, Why don't I lead us in prayer as we get stuck into 1 Thessalonians. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us and showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. We ask you now to teach us through your word so that we may be ready to serve you for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Let me tell you a story. Uh, let me tell you about three men in my life who have had a significant impact in transforming my life to take shape after the gospel of God. First one is this guy, Paso. Uh, Paso uh, is one of those people that God put in my life who was just one step ahead of me, always one year ahead of my life. Uh, Paso and I bonded over learning to surf together. And as we did the drive from the North Shore down to the Northern Beaches, Paso introduced me to the ministry of the car stereo. He would put on Christian music for me to listen to. Occasionally he'd slip in a sermon uh, from time to time. Paso taught me to go for prayer walks, which was a revelation to me because I kept falling asleep every time I'd sit down to pray. Paso was a man who was passionate about God. And that passion rubbed off on me. Well, Paso decided to pursue his dream of going and training for ministry. So he went to America to train with Sovereign Grace Churches. And as he did, he introduced me to his mentor. This was like losing the Apostle Paul and gaining the Lord Jesus. Here's Patrick. Patrick is, uh, is an amazing man of God. Uh, Patrick is a man who wants the gospel of God to touch every single area of his life. He's also a man who has seven children, uh, this missing one there. And almost everything I've ever learned about marriage and family begins with like this. It says, well, I have a friend with seven children. And he told me, 
Patrick taught me so much about the way the, that the gospel should grip you and have all of you. He taught me about how when you're seeking the glory of God, you're going to put other people's noses out of joint. There were always people who thought he was too full on for God, too intense, taking it too seriously. But Patrick welcomed me into his home and he shared the gospel with me and my life was transformed. And then I met this handsome gentleman, Reverend Dr. Paul Dale. Uh, Paul and I met on a ministry conference. He liked my Beckenbridge headband that I was wearing and I liked his shaved legs, uh, which were purely for his sporting purposes. But we got together and he started uh, reading the Bible. He asked me to come and read the Bible with him. And Paul taught me about faith. He taught me about living as a man of faith and taking risks for God. He taught me about how to preach the gospel to yourself before you preach it to others, to let your own heart be transformed before you seek the transformation of other people. Uh, Paul, uh, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but Paul would pray for me and he would send me messages saying, just prayed for you and I wanted to share this verse. And it was like a lightning bolt. It would hit me as if God had, had sent this text message himself right at the time, right exactly what I needed to know. Three men who loved me so much that they delighted to share not only the gospel of God, but their lives as well. And that's what we're looking at this evening. The Apostle Paul and his desire to love the Thessalonians, to share the gospel and open up his life. These three men helped my heart to get captured by a heavenly cause. And that is... As, uh, that, that cause is outlined in verse 12 of this passage. It's great. It'd be great if you've got it open in front of you. Verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians. Paul says, We were always encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. That's the impetus behind all that we're doing. You have an invitation from God to join him in his own kingdom and glory. Imagine if you had a missed call tonight uh, as you're sitting here in church. It was a call from uh, Bill Gates. Uh, it's just Bill calling. He wants to know if you want a share in his business. Just part ownership. Uh, he wants to know if you'd like to join him in building his empire. Well, you have an even greater call here from God tonight. God says he wants you to join him in sharing in his kingdom, in sharing in his glory. It is the highest call in the universe, and it's yours tonight. And he says to you, come and join me. And, and, and the call is to become gospel messengers. People who speak and proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is our big idea tonight. We want to be gospel messengers whose lives take shape after the gospel. Gospel messengers who live gospel-shaped lives. That's our big idea. And as we, do, as we explore that idea... We're going to do it and think about the five marks of gospel messengers that Paul outlines as he speaks about his ministry amongst the Thessalonians. As you know, uh, this this letter to the Thessalonians was written by the Apostle Paul because he was explaining, uh, part of the reason he wrote was he was explaining the reason for his disappearance in the midst of his ministry. He was in there, he told them the gospel, uh, he he, he got them excited about the Lord Jesus and then they woke up one morning and he was gone. A little like being directed out on a, on a trek of a lifetime, the adventure of your life. And you're, you're walking through the woods 
with a tour guide leader. You go to bed one night, you wake up the next morning, and the tour guide's gone. You start asking yourself the question, what am I doing? Am I on the wrong path? Did I, did I make the wrong choice in life? Am I heading in the wrong direction? Well, the Apostle Paul wants to say, no, the Lord Jesus Christ is the real deal. And we are the real deal. And you are heading in the right direction. Verse 4 of our reading says, On the contrary, we want to speak, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Paul's defending his ministry and he's saying, We are the ones sent by God. You are on the right path. Stay on it, Thessalonians. And so he explains his his ministry amongst them, and we'll explore that in the five marks of gospel messengers. So our first mark of a gospel messenger is that gospel messengers are, one, courageous. To be courageous is not to be oblivious of danger. It's to understand the danger and to be brave anyway. Anyway, It's not the little child playing with fire because they don't know they might get hurt. It's the fireman who knows the danger and goes in anyway. Paul says to the Thessalonians, as you know, verse 2, he says, as you know, we'd previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel. We kept going, we kept speaking even in the face of strong opposition. You can buy uh, electric shock collars for dogs that you put around their neck, and every time they bark, they get a shock to try and keep them quiet. Well, you could get an electric shock collar for the Apostle Paul, but it wouldn't have shut him up. Uh, Often we run away from pain, don't we? You think, oh, you suffered in Philippi. Change the message, you know, rub off some of the sharp edges, just tone it down a little, Paul. No, he and his companions went to Thessalonica and they kept preaching the same message that got them in trouble in Philippi. And what happened? Got them in trouble again. But they were courageous. They were bold. They did it because they loved the Thessalonians, because they were zealous for the glory of God. Uh, It seems that you can't stop gospel messengers even to this day we uh, had the privilege of hearing Joel, one of our new interns, his testimony of how he came to faith this week. And uh, he spoke about how his own family suffered persecution and physical violence, but did not give up following Jesus. Anna spoke about how she's helped us support Voice of the Martyrs, 16 pastors' families we support who are in prison for their faith uh, in Vietnam. Many of them have been in there for over 10 years, and they could get out of prison by denying Jesus, but they don't. They hold on to him. They're courageous. They keep trusting, and they keep speaking of Jesus. Well, gospel messengers, first, are courageous. Secondly, they're honest. Gospel messengers are not deceptive. They don't use tricks to get people in the kingdom they're not into, into uh, bait and switch. Let me tell you about the first ever Alpha course that I was involved in. Uh, a certain member of our church invited a friend of hers along to the first night of Alpha. And as we spoke with the people, the guests of the course, about the course being a wonderful six-week course, uh, for, for, and we're going to spend time having meals, getting to know one another over these six weeks, exploring big questions of life, finding out about Jesus... This friend that had been invited along looked utterly perplexed. 
Turns out afterwards that this member of our church had invited her along to what she'd said was just a one-off social dinner at church. Uh, the, the member of our church said that she did it because the devil is a deceiver and a tricker, and so she was trying to outsmart him in his own game. That is a bad, bad way to outwork the devil. The devil is a liar, so we defeat him with truth, with speaking the truth about Jesus and acting in truth. That is the way that, we, uh, that the kingdom advances and his recedes. Gospel messengers are honest. Verse 5, Paul says, uh, sorry, verse 3, he says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Verse 5, You know that we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Gospel messengers are honest. And I'm thankful that those who are not, Those who are greedy and out for self-gain, well, thankfully, more often than not, they get found out. Gospel messengers are courageous, they're honest. And third mark, gospel messengers are gentle. How do you relate to those over whom you have authority? Uh, In all of life, we function in authority relationships. Uh, Even within the church, we are in authority relationships. You might have the authority of being a connect group leader with a group entrusted to your care. You could have the authority of being a ministry team leader, the authority of being a kids' church helper or a creche helper. You might even have the authority in a discipleship relationship where you're reading the Bible with someone else. Well, how do you exercise that authority? Are you top-down, you know, my way or the highway, you get the final words? Well, How did Paul exercise his authority? Verse 6, he says, We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or from anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like children among you. In the last couple of weeks, the children of our church here have all gone back to school. They've started school. And my Tommy, year two, had just one concern about starting school. He said, I hope I don't get an angry teacher. Well, fortunately for Tommy, just like the Thessalonians, they didn't get an angry teacher. They got a gentle teacher. Paul came to them and he was gentle. He could have been heavy. He could have come top down. uh, This is the way it is. I've met the Lord Jesus. You listen in. But instead, he was bottom up. He was on the classroom floor with them like an infant, like a child. He was a fellow traveler with those he preached the gospel to. The gospel that he preached to them was one he kept preaching to himself. And so as you minister amongst people this year, how will you make that a ministry shaped by gentleness, by love and kindness and care? You know, in ministry when you are proclaiming Jesus when you're a gospel messenger, you don't have to be weighty because the teaching you bring is weighty. You don't have to be strong because Jesus is strong. You don't have to come down with authority because Jesus is authoritative. So let him be strong and you just be yourself, your loving, gentle self. Paul says our gentleness was like that of a nursing mother or a caring and committed father. 
Paul and his friends just wanted to embrace the Thessalonians and, and draw them in. He loved them so much and he wanted to open up his life to them, open up his heart to them. And that leads us to our fourth mark of a gospel messenger. Our fourth mark of a gospel messenger is that they're caring. It was Theodore Roosevelt who's reported to have said, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. I had the privilege of doing four years chaplaincy at a boys boarding school. And that was the first piece of advice I got given. These boys don't care what you know till they know that you care. Get in, share your life with them, take an interest in them, remember their names, love them, care for them. You could be the most acclaimed gospel messenger in the world. You could know it all. You could have theology degrees. But if the people that you are speaking to and ministering to don't think that you love them or care for them, they won't pick up a cent of what you say. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 is our theme verse, our, our, I guess our core verse of our Explore Ministries. Our Explore Ministries is our Alpha Courses and our Christian and Explored Courses. Let me read it to you. Verse 8. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We don't have that verse because we think it's a good gospel strategy. We have it because we want to have God's heart for people. We want to love people like God loves them, a love that opens up our lives as we open up the gospel. I can actually say to my shame that there have been many times in my life where I've gone out to share the gospel of Jesus or or shared about him, not out of love for the people that I'm serving, but out of a desire to feel good myself. So I can say, you know, tick, downloaded the gospel on that person. Yes, filled my quota this week, had a conversation about Jesus. I've prayed many years that God would give me opportunities this day to speak about Jesus. I realize that prayer needs to change a little bit. Uh, That prayer needs to be, God, help me to love people so much that I might take opportunities to share Jesus. As you love people like God loves them, you begin to want to open yourself up to them, to, to welcome them into your life and share your life with them. And that's what my friend Patrick did. He welcomed me into his home. And it was in his home where I saw and discovered that The gospel of Jesus can touch and influence and transform everything that you do. You'd go to the toilet in Patrick's house, and there, behind the door, were memory verses all over the place. There would be books scattered throughout the home that spoke of what this family were passionate about. I saw the way that he spoke to his wife and how the gospel transformed the way that a husband and wife relate to each other. I saw him resolve conflicts over My Little Pony and that the gospel impacts little six-year-old girls. He would get down on his knees at their level and he would explain to them how Jesus transforms the way that they play. I saw in Patrick that the gospel touches everything that he is and everything he did and I thought, I want in. I want that gospel and I want to be transformed by God like that. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul sought to do to open his life. Friends, open your lives to one another. 
welcome people into your home. Your home is such a powerful, uh, a powerful representation of Jesus. It's a, it's a chance to show and express God's love for others. Uh, hospitality is not about having a great home. It's about a willingness to share your life, to open yourself up to other people. I remember the first time I ever invited my Bible study connect group to come to my home. And uh, someone in the group said to me this stat, and I have absolutely no factual basis for this stat, but they said, apparently Australians have on average 1.4 people in their home each year. I don't know what the stat is, but whatever it is, as Christians, we should be blowing that out of the water. I think of Neil and Lynn Worsley. They have 50 people on a night sometimes in their home. They are always eager to open up their homes and open up their lives. Please, Use that opportunity to share Jesus as you share your life. But the Apostle Paul, he didn't even have a home. So it's not about having a home. It's about a willingness to open up yourself and your heart and your life. So be caring and care enough to open up your life to others. The fifth and final mark of a gospel messenger is that they are godly. What's the one word that can undermine everything you might say about Jesus? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. The gospel is unlikely to transform the heart of another person if it hasn't first transformed your own heart. You can't give away to others what you haven't first received yourself. Make sure the gospel you're preaching to others is a gospel you first preach to yourself. Godliness really matters. That's why the Apostle Paul says in verse 12, we were always encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Live lives that commend the gospel that you proclaim. I want you to know, Church by the Bridge, that your pastor, your senior pastor, Paul Dale, before he stands here and preaches to you, he spent half an hour going through that sermon asking, how does this word speak to me? How does this message transform my life? As Anna was sharing before. And as you're preparing your ministry this year, you're preparing to teach kids or to teach in your Bible study connect group, maybe that's an extra step you can put in your preparation. How does this word change my heart before I think about how it will change the lives of others? So having your heart and your life transformed really matters as you share Jesus, as does your concern for whose, uh, your concern for whose glory you're seeking. Paul speaks about the primary reason that he shared the gospel in verse 4. He tells us, verse 4, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. It's quite a liberating thing to realize that the primary reason that we share the gospel, that we are gospel messengers, is not to please people. Because sometimes you will share the gospel and you'll put their noses out of joint. You'll upset them. You'll rattle their feathers. They might become angry at you. But the primary reason we share the gospel is for the glory of God. And as we do that, so often God will do that wonderful, surprising work of beginning a transformation in the lives of those that we share. I don't know about you, but if I wait until my family or friends tell me I would like to hear about this Jesus, I'll never start speaking. So 
Our concern is the glory of God, and that might embolden us to speak, even when we feel like we should just keep our mouths shut. We have a sister in this church, and we're going to call her Tessa for confidentiality's sake. Our sister Tessa uh, has a friend who is a movie director, and he has asked that she would uh, that she would donate money towards a film that he's making. And quote in her words, it is a uh, the film is a gay erotic thriller horror film that they want donations for. This friend has been wrestling and wrestling all week. What should I do? And she's decided that she will write a letter to explain why she won't contribute to this film. Now, I'm not expecting that that letter will go down wonderfully with the recipient. But she is seeking the glory of God. And she is seeking to put God first. And as God so often does, and we heard a testimony of it on Wednesday night at our prayer meeting, God begins a work as we seek his glory and we speak for him, even if it upsets those that we speak to. Well, there's our five marks of the gospel messenger. We'll finish back at verse 12 where we began. Through his word tonight, God has encouraged, comforted, urged and implored us to live lives worthy of him. Live lives worthy of the one who has called us into his kingdom and glory. You don't need to check your phone to see if Bill Gates is called because you've got a call from the God of heaven. And he says, play your part in my kingdom and my glory. And in a few chapters, the Apostle Paul is going to put this call to be a gospel messenger in the context of a day that's coming. A day that is coming where the God of heaven will peel back this reality and we will see the world from his reality. And we will see the Lord Jesus Christ at the center of the universe. And we will see things as God has seen it all along. And we will ask ourselves the question, did I live as a gospel messenger? Did I live as a gospel messenger who had a gospel-shaped life? A gospel-shaped life that was courageous, honest, gentle, caring, and godly. Let's pray that when that day comes, we, brothers and sisters at Church by the Bridge, will say, there was a great cause that God called me to, and I spent my life living to play my part in it. Let's pray that would be so.